Radio shows you love from the people you know. This is Sam Talks Technology. Hello and uh, welcome again to another in the series of Sam Talks Technology. And today I've got a, a wonderful entrepreneur, engineer and innovator. She's a great friend as well. Uh, it's Carrie Marsh. Carrie, hello and welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me, Sam. Oh, pleasure. Look, you and I have known each other strangely for the best part of over a decade now. Yeah, um, more, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say from the top of the story, we first met at a Robert Scoble event at a Tex-Mex in central London at Trafalgar Square. And uh, after the event, you proceeded to cartwheel across Trafalgar Square. So, <laughs> very memorable. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do that... Uh, I don't do it quite as often these days, though, the cartwheels. <laughs> <laughs> no, Fewer yeah. cartwheels these days. Fewer cartwheels. I think, I think if I remember rightly, there were several drunken people trying to copy you and just landed on their faces. <laughs> I may well have been one of them. Oh, um, dear. Yeah, yes. that, that, that happens. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to who you are. Look, Carrie, give me, a, give me a quick synopsis. What is Punchfront Innovations and what are you up to today? Okay, so... Um, it's my uh, second startup. It's the, 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 the company that I, that I started when I um, just decided that I had new ideas um, and I wanted to um, make them happen. So uh, it was about five years ago um, and I, uh, I wanted to do a couple of things. I wanted to do a bit of consulting because I'd just come out of um, almost a dozen years running my first startup, which was... Um, you know, amazing experience. And, um, but I'd kind of got that itchy feet that entrepreneurs get when I wanted to do something new and I had a specific product in mind. So I started this company, Punchfront Innovation, to do two things, um, come up with products, new products, and get them from idea to shelves, and also to do a bit of consulting. So helping um, big businesses be behave a bit more entrepreneurial, a bit more like startups. Um, so the, the, the product that sort of, got it all off to, you know, off the ground was, um, something that called the boot claw, which, um, uh, I don't, well, I do know, you know all about, because, uh, I remember you, you were talking to me when I first started crowdfunding that, but yeah, basically a product that I, that I designed that, um, because I had children playing football and rugby and they had muddy, muddy shoes, muddy feet, muddy, um, rugby boots, and there was nothing on the market to, uh, to, to solve the problem of having heavy mud on their, on their boots. And I was thinking to myself, well, we paid a lot of money for those boots because they're super lightweight and you've got a pound of mud attached to the bottom of each, each foot. Um, you can't run properly. You can't strike a ball cleanly. Um, and I would be pulling this out with my, my fingernails. So I came up with this product called the, the, the boot claw. And um, I just, it was just one of those, you know, things that I just, I'm this type of person that if I get something that I really want to do, I just, I just can't drop it. And that's what the boot claw is like as a product. But um, yeah, I mean, I could go into all sorts of, of details about that journey, but that, okay. that was, that, that was the, um, the, the, the reason for saying, right, I'm going to do this now and I'm going to make punch punch um, happen. Okay. So you've got, you've got three young boys, they play rugby. Um, and this was, this was an innovation. Now, um, most people have ideas in their heads. Most people go, Oh yeah, you know, I really want to design X, Y, and Z. So talk us through how you went from the, I guess, frustration of getting nail uh, mud under your nails on a weekly basis yeah. to producing well, a product that's available now in Amazon and sports direct and is 
you know, widely used. So how do you go from those two scenarios? Well, I, what the position I was in was that I, I had in my mind a vision. I could see what I needed. I needed something to, that with claws that would dig um, the mud out, a bit like digging animals, you know, like moles. And, and I knew it needed to be like long fingernails that would pull it out. Um, so I had it in my mind, but I didn't know how to, I, I didn't know how to make it happen. I didn't know how to get from an idea to, to retail. And so what I did actually is I thought, who do I, what, what product do I know that exists in the market today that is made from plastic, a small plastic product that, that an entrepreneur in the UK has created um, from idea to, to the shelves and has become a huge hit. And I thought, let me go and research what that, how that person made it happen. And then maybe some of all the due diligence will be done and I can copy them. <laughs> so basically what I did was, because um, I, I knew the basics of how if I wanted to make a plastic tool with claws, I could injection mold it, right? Because I did engineering, I did manufacturing engineering at university and I knew about injection molding. But this product that I, that, that I thought of that this might be a parallel to was um, the Tangle Teaser. You, you've got girls, right? So you know, I have got yes. two two tangle teasers at home, if not three. Yeah, so uh, that, two at least. Yes, two, yeah. So so that is a classic injection molding. It's two part as a, the boot claws are a single part, but that's a two part injection mold. And I read up about the guy uh, that 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 created the tangle teaser, and um, I I found out what intellectual property lawyers he used. I I read through what he did in terms of the IP for the product. In what order did he do what? And where was he manufacturing and how was he manufacturing? And I ended up that my boot claws are now manufactured in the exact same factory as the Tangle Teasers in the Midlands. Brilliant. And I, I used the IP lawyers that he used to protect his. And so I got granted the, uh, the patent for the boot claw in uh, June this year, which was a huge achievement and also a massive relief because patenting something is a money pit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, on that note, I mean... Uh... How much did it cost you, if you don't mind me asking? I pick guess... A, pick I a guess, number. I guess... Um, no, I don't mind saying probably all in from, um, from my first uh, meeting with the IP lawyers where they gave me an hour free. And then every, every hour after that was billable. It was probably 30 grand. Wow. And is but that then, patent global? No. So basically, if you wanted to patent something in every country in the world, it would probably cost you a million pounds. Okay. Um, so you've got to be really clever or about where you want to get your protection. So I've got, for example, I've got the trademark for the word bootclaw. I've got the registered design for bootclaw, which is global. But if the actual utility patent that you grant ha has to be um, in each jurisdiction. So what I did is I did an EU patent, which means you can choose which countries you register the patent in within the EU. And, um, and then obviously that um, the UK is one of those. And then you have to translate into those languages if you want to be patented in those, in those European countries. So, you know, I, if I had a huge amount of, of, of venture capital behind me, possibly we would have protected it in a lot more countries. But um, one thing I decided from the outset with this product, having run a business before where I raised a lot of um, investment and had a lot of shareholders, um, I decided this time I wanted to be completely, uh, <laughs> not, not on my own, but I didn't want to have the burden of, of always delivering to shareholders. So I wanted all my funds to be crowdfunded um, and I wanted all the growth to be sales through sales and organic, you know, organic growth. 
so yeah so that that's what i've done with the with the bootcloy i have no investors i'm the i own 100 of the shares in punchfront um and uh yeah and that's that's the way i kind of like it <laughs> yeah i can imagine and it's not greed I, you know it's not that i don't want to share it. it it's just genuine genuinely i found that having investors before meant i constantly worried about what i was doing for them you know over the decade or a dozen years that i was running um my first startup i, I never paid myself enough because i was always looking at the bottom of line for for how it how it looked to the shareholders and stuff and i you know i just constantly felt that i had to i had to do well for them and it was such a pressure so i decided this time i'm going to use crowdfunding which i did for the bootlaw i use kickstarter um and then it's just been sales so i don't you know it, i we got to the point with the bootlaw where um, the sales are coming in regularly and in, enough that I could then invest in my next product. And, uh, and that's the way the company will continue to grow. I think with Punch from where I've constantly got ideas and, and I want to have, I think, a, a portfolio of ideas and products going forward. Brilliant. Okay. Mm. So um, you've got the IP, you, you, you've got the product, you've, you, but there's a lot of steps in between that before, yeah. before we get, I mean, Okay, so you were smart enough to go and find a product in the market, you know, and 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 look at how they achieved it, um, yeah. which is brilliant. But um, how do you go about pricing it? I mean, because what does it retail now on Amazon for, for example? Uh, about a fiver. Right. So, so um, Sports Direct buy bulk from me, so they um, they obviously uh, they they like to discount, so they can retail out at three ninety nine, I think. But if yeah. you go onto Amazon at the moment. Um, we adjust the pricing according to demand, obviously. So I think the, uh, the neon, which outsells the black about three to one is, um, is five ninety nine, and the black's four ninety nine. Right. But, and um, and they, how did you go about pricing it? I mean, it, it, that must've been like finger in the air or did you have a real strategy for pricing it? Well, it, it just, you know, it's just, it's just a massive spreadsheet, isn't it? We just got to work out how much, I mean, so for example, the, the neon plastic, uh, the raw material, um, it's called super tough nylon that I use is slightly more expensive than, than the black. Um, I get obviously bulk discounts with my manufacturer. So if I'm depending on how many thousands or tens of thousands of units I'm ordering. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just factoring in, factoring in all, all those costs, really the packaging, the, um the the shipping the my you know my take my salary um and and you know all the all the basic costs and and working out working out how much really you need to you you need to sell at what volume to 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 deliver the the lifestyle that you want <laughs> so have you, have you spreadsheeted out when you're retiring then <laughs> well i i actually see that the boot claw is like my pension now because the 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 the, the thing that i love is it's so easily it's kind of really really automated if you like so uh, i can do an order i could do an order of um say twenty five thousand units from my factory can ship directly to amazon fulfillment centers and uh all i really need to do is place that order and settle the invoice with my manufacturer or fulfilled by amazon is just a godsend for us because uh, every time you go on amazon and you buy a boot claw you know, I, I, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, you know, I'm just looking at the app to seeing what my sales are today. So they pick, pack and post um, for far cheaper than I could if I was sitting here stuffing envelopes and posting. Is that Amazon trap line, pick, pack and post? If not, you should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you, you know, they, 
I, I literally just, you know, do ship the ship straight to them and, and then they do all the they do all the lifting really. Yeah, marketplace is great. It is great. Yeah. I mean they take a chunk, but uh, as I say, it's less it's less than it would cost me myself yeah. to, to do it. So and then similarly if I'm placing an order for Sports Direct, um I I might warehouse you know um a number of units for smaller retailers if I get any. But again with Sports Direct I can go straight to the manufacturer to them. Uh, or I, I actually go through a, um, a, a, a reseller called Raiden International Sports, so and they supply to Sports Direct. Okay. Um, because I'm not supplying quite a million pounds a year to Sports Direct yet, but hopefully that one day. <laughs> there you go. Um, now, but we actually, need... just to go, go back to your, um, I'll, I'll interrupt because I was you asked me a question that I didn't answer before, which is how did I start? How did I go about it? And and what I did is actually when I googled designer product um i found a company that do visualizations and that was the first thing i did when because i had the, the image of the boot boring on my, my mind but i didn't have hadn't used computer-aided design for a couple of decades to be fair so i went to a company um down in salisbury innovate design i think they were called and i spoke to them and uh communicated what i thought it would look like and they did all the 3d renderings and all the 3d prints because what you need when you do a kickstarter campaign is you have to have a prototype, you have to have a physical object, you can't just use a 3D rendering. So they, they did all the um, visualizations and renderings and then that led to 3D prints, which we could then use to crowdfund. I used the 3D prints to get in touch with the manufacturer and the manufacturer gave, helped me with the design for manufacturer. So we tweaked the design so that there weren't, wouldn't be um, any areas in its, in its shape that would not lend themselves to a single injection mold. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I got it from off inside my head onto a screen and then into my hand. Brilliant. Now I remember when you first came up with the idea, um, not when you first came up with it, obviously when you'd got the Kickstarter project going and, um, I got, um, some early, I guess, boot claws. Um, my godson is playing now for England under 18s. He used he? Wow. He's using he it. Oh, brilliant. I love that. This yes. is my favorite, favorite thing about this product. When I see people using it and I don't know them and they love it. And I, I saw people using it at a rugby tournament the other day. And I, I, I actually went up to him and went, oh, where'd you get those? And he went, oh, they're brilliant. I've got them on Amazon. You can get a black one. You get a two for five ninety nine. <laughs> and he started selling it to me. I, was like, I love that. I love that. <laughs> that makes me feel really warm and tasty inside. I love that. <laughs> well, I will, I will send you a picture of Max, my god. Oh, please do. Playing yeah. for England with it a boot claw in his hand all right wow oh so he'll fantastic. have his england shirt on and i'll send that to you oh brilliant oh congratulations well, to him wow, he's not amazing he's in he's got the southwest trials but i am damn certain he's gonna make the england he, he was in the he made the 28 last year and they only picked 25 so wow. he's a year young so he will make it this year so i'll send you the picture when he gets <laughs> the shirt with a boot claw um, well, you know, it's it's a it's a tool. It's it's to give you the edge, isn't it? I mean, if if at half time your boots weigh a pound more than the opposition's, and you don't get rid of it, um, I mean, because I did actually design it for, for to be a performance enhancing sports accessory. You know, I wanted. I was thinking of the physics of it. I was thinking, you know, right. you know, forces mass times acceleration. You can't accelerate if you've got a bigger mass <laughs> on your feet. <laughs> so, you know, I did it because I wanted my children to be able to to play better. But right. actually, of course, most people would just use it to clean their boots afterwards because they don't want to be slapping them together and getting mud in their face. Um, Which is strange here with the first reaction I got when I showed somebody the boot claw. 
I don't get it. Why can't you just slam them together? Well, the funny thing is, is my kids still now come into the lounge, empty their school bags, get out their rugby boots, which, by the way, still have an inch of mud on the bottom of each one because they didn't take a boot. And you allow them it's, into your lounge? It's throwing, it's throwing, well, we've got wooden floors everywhere. I've given right. up on that. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's throwing it down outside. You, you, you know, you're not going to start clapping these things together. And, and then even if you do, you know, it only gets any of the loose mud off. You yeah. know, when it's really compacted, it doesn't, it doesn't really remove it. Yeah. But no, it was precisely that when you don't fancy having to cover yourself in mud by slapping them all together <laughs> or ruin your boots. That's the other one that people say a lot of the time that, oh, just bang them against the wall, bang them against the floor. I'm like, God, you paid, you paid so much money for those boots, you know, just smacking them about the place. <laughs> so now the, the, the next question I've got is why Kickstarter and why not one of the other uh, crowdfunded um, platforms? Um, well, what, made, what was your decision-making policy? Well, it was really easy. It comes back to the shareholder thing. So, I mean, there, there's three basic models, aren't there? There's, there's, you can have uh, crowd-funded loans, like Funding Circle, something like that, um, which uh, still mean that you have kind of a lot of people who are uh, interested and relying on your success because they don't want you to default on loan repayments or anything. Um, and then there's like the, you know, Cedars or um, all the others that are actually crowd, crowd yeah, funding. An, for angel inve- fund. Yeah. yeah, they're investing. They, they, you're, you're getting like thousands of, or hundreds of thousands of, in, hundreds or thousands of investors who are then, you know, who are then looking to make something out of your business with you. So it was just purely that. It seems so much more pure and simple to say, look, it, do enough of you people want me to make this? If you want to buy it, and enough of you want to buy it, I'll make it. <laughs> so it's just so straightforward. And, and you know, the, that's where you have to be so careful with Kickstarter that you get your amount right. Because, of course, if you don't hit the amount, it's all off. Which, right, rightly so. Because if you said it's going to take me 30 grand but, um, to, to make this product and you only raise 20, then if you've done your maths properly, that means you don't have enough to make it properly. And everybody that's putting up to the 20 grand might not get their product because you haven't got enough money to make it in the way you said you were going to make it. So it makes complete sense that, that it's all an all or nothing thing with Kickstarter. So, and, and also I think it validates it. I mean, it, 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 if, if nobody wants to buy it, then you should take that as an indicator that maybe nobody will want to buy it and you maybe shouldn't make it. Um, and I mean, there are a huge amount of um, companies using Kickstarter um, not, you know, not individual inventors like me and very few female individual inventors. Um, uh, but there's a lot of companies, they're just trying out new products. But actually, just on that point, the female inventors is a very interesting statistic that I was reading, which is there are far fewer female inventors um, running campaigns on Kickstarter, but more run successful campaigns, a higher proportion of, of uh, female campaigns because are successful ones than of the male campaigns. And I think that does go down to the same sort of thing that you get in VC investing, you know, you get, because um, male entrepreneurs, I don't want to be too general, but I found that as a female entrepreneur, when I was looking for VC and business angel funding, I, I had people coming back to venture capitalists coming back to me saying, go and put more zeros on your business plan. That's not, you know, that, that that's not big enough. And I'm saying, but this is what I think I can deliver. We said, well, we want, 
it to be absolutely massive, you know, and we, and, and there they are obviously with their nice portfolio of 20, knowing full well, 15 will fail, a couple will, couple will break even and two will t tip and make them their huge return. But as a, as an entrepreneur, you know, the odds are stacked against you, aren't they? So I, I found when I was fundraising from the, for my first business that I wasn't prepared to say, this is going to be the next Google. I was prepared to say, this is what I think I can do. And that wasn't enough for venture capitalists. So, which is why I ended up going down the business angel funding route before. But the point I think I'm making is that with um, crowdfunding, particularly with something like Kickstarter, you're, you have to be very realistic about your plan. Um, so, and, and also if you try and raise huge amounts of money that, you know, that it's the, the curve, the, well, the line says that the more money you're trying to raise, the low, you know, the, the, you know, the, the lower your chances of success. So I think, um, female entrepreneurs on crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter can put forward very realistic, deliverable business plans, um, and then execute on them so sorry so i'm taking i was listening to that because fundamentally me and jill my wife have a a, a word that we describe men who generally we meet at networking events we call them willy waggers right and, uh, <laughs> just because they they come up to you and their card has to say senior vp vice president of something because that's how they measure themselves the, the value and and men go for jobs generally when they're overqualified Sorry, they're underqualified. Underqualified, yeah. And women go for jobs when they're overqualified. And so in the same sense, I can imagine you men, and I've, done, I've had to do this, where you go in and you walk and you, you say, my, my business is going to be massive. Can I have yeah. money, please? And unless you say it's massive, then the VC is not going to give you the money. So it's a yeah. lie from the start. It's a total yeah. lie from the start. And, you know, the old expression, fake it until you make it, is, is yeah. so awful because when the first year review comes around and you haven't made that massive kickstart number, you know, the hockey stick hasn't kicked in the mm. VC's like looking at you going, well, you told me and you go, well, yeah, but I couldn't have told you anything else because you wouldn't have given me the money. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I like, I like the fact that, you know, Kickstarter sounds like you can go in with a reasonable amount uh, and achievable amount, I guess is what you're saying that you can return, which, yeah. which works. Yeah. And I mean, you know, what you, you, you factor in exactly how much. So, so for example, with the boot claw, um, I needed to, I'd already been in touch obviously with my manufacturer to work out in very detailed terms, how much it was going to cost me to make, uh, the tool, the actual tool that goes in the, the, the machines that, that then that has the cavity inside it of the boot claw. And then, you know, the, the super tough nylon gets squirted in at, at very high temperatures and then um uh it gets super cool very quickly and then the the, the, the clasp opens and it drops out and that you can manufacture a boot claw once one every 30 seconds but that tool in itself um needed to be made and the, while i manufacture the boot claws in um in the uk up in the midlands company called data plastics the tool um that was made in china and so i had to um i had to work out how much that was going to cost and how much it was going to cost to ship because it weighs three of me. It's, you know, it makes one little boot claw, but it's a huge, great two foot cubed uh, piece, chunk of metal with a single cavity inside it. You know, it's bonkers. So obviously to, uh, we had to get that shipped over, not, uh, not um, uh, flown over because of the weight of it. And so we had to factor all that into uh, the timing and, um, and the cost. So um, 
that that was the biggest chunk of the of the money uh, was was making the actual tool that would then make manufacture um, if um, just effective and, yeah. and um, efficient. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the thirty thousand was a reasonable raise for that. In fact, I'm proud to say, and and I, you can probably check your own figures. I was the person who got you over that thirty thousand. <laughs> yes, I waited I until I Did waited you? until <laughs> the last minute, and I was like, I am going to be that person. And I I, I actually remember messaging you. You, you yeah. probably wouldn't say. Yeah, no, I do. I, I just do got remember it over. that. But we had a little flurry at the end. I don't know if you, because if you're featured in ending soon, you always get a tiny little flurry at the end. So we went, we went way, not way over, but you know, with both of my crowdfunding campaigns, you know, we've gone a comfortable amount over. It wasn't like just screeching in at the last minute. We, we, so, so yeah. Oh, well, thank you for that. that no, it was just, uh, <laughs> I felt really, it was just one of my moments. I was like, yes, I've done yeah. that. Oh, um, I, I'm sad to say for your second crowdfunding project, although I have supported it, I, I wasn't anywhere near the end of getting you over the line. <laughs> no, it I was, was in the middle all over the place. It was a guy, I was sitting cause we were right. Uh, it was about, it, I did a 10 day campaign actually for the, um, for the, the, the latest products rather than a 30 day campaign, which I did for the boot floor because it was a much smaller amount of money. And um, also it was, I wanted to get everything wrapped up before Christmas so I could get them shipped out in time so that people could give them as gifts. And, and we've done that actually. So we've just, for, um, all, all of our backers should now have, I believe now got all of their, um, their, their rewards. Um, and it was a, a chap out in the States actually that, that took us over the, the target um, a couple, about three days. We, we met the target after seven days of a 10 day um, campaign. So that was good. We were sort of comfortably there. So that's, that was nice because you then they would go, right, we're doing this. Right. Well, you, now <laughs> you've mentioned it, but we haven't talked about it. What, what is your second project? It's a really silly novelty thing, isn't it? <laughs> I have one. So go no, on. You, got you don't one, have so to explain it to me, but explain it, to everyone I'll tell you else. what it was. I'll tell you what it was. I, I, I've got teenagers, right? And so there's a lot of arguing going on in the house. And I said You've to myself... You've got three boys, yes. Yeah, so, so two, 14, well, are they 10, 14 and 16? And so with teenagers, there's a lot of arguing and shouting going on in the house. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend that we live this dreamy existence where we all just are, are, are peaceful the whole time. It's not. Um, but I just remember saying, do you know what? I don't know how many days it's been since we've had an argument. I, I think it's been like six or seven days since we've had an argument. I need to... And I, I really wanted to, I, I thought, oh, I need a scoreboard. And I thought, hmm, you know, at the beginning of The Simpsons, where Homer Simpson is in the factory and it has days without an accident, zero. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I want one of those signs, but I want it with days without an argument. And I just, you know me, I just went online and I just said, I want this, I want this, this doesn't exist, this doesn't exist. Oh, I want to make it. And so it started off with me just wanting to track days without an argument and then I decided accident would be funny and then I thought oh days without wine well that's always going to stay on zero uh, but some people might like gin and uh you know days and then I thought oh well people will be doing veganuary in in um, January right there's lots of people on, are tracking vegan and then my little boy goes how many days is it till Christmas and I'm like oh we could flip that over couldn't we so basically it's a little desktop flip chart and you can track you can you can track good and bad habits so you could do days without um uh, arguing days without swearing maybe uh days that without um a drink days days without smoking but then you can also count down on the literally on the flip side you can swing it around and on the back it say days till my birthday days till christmas day to the end of term day to payday days you know all those all those fun things so um it's just a bit of a novelty really but i i i guess it's a bit like that what's those sort of light boards that 
almost everyone got for Christmas last year, which where you just slot, you know, it's like a light with, with rows that you slot letters in a bit like an old, uh, movie uh, no, song. clearly I from, missed that. You, you know, really? oh. No, I clearly anyway. missed that one. Anyway, well, the, it just a, it's just a novelty thing that you don't need, but that's fun to have. And also, it's very much um, uh, in the in the, people are into streaks at the moment, aren't they? We've all got these apps for streaks um, for what you're doing, for how long, or whether your days of exercise, or all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I thought, well, why don't I make a non-digital version? Why don't I make just a really beautiful tactile thing made of uh, recyclable paper and card with no plastic packaging that you can literally just swing the flaps over in front and it's all very uh, um, and you still haven't said what you called it oh it's called yeah so what i've done is i've trademarked it's called it's called my flipping world but that's Which is brilliant obviously you it's your world you flip that you flip the things over but what i've actually trademarked is my flipping so we we thought we would do my flipping world first and it's kind of a catch-all if anyone could use it the kids could use it if you're a family you could use it for you know days without an accident if you're a kid um, you could use it the days to my birthday or you can use days for my, days of mindfulness days of yoga you know i don't think he's eating five a day um but what I thought we could then do after this is we could do my flipping office maybe, and you can have all one specific for your office that you might want to have on your desk in the office or my, or um, my flipping world student edition, you know, where you can, you know, days without washing, days without, <laughs> <laughs> days without going to lectures, all that sort of stuff. So I've trademarked my flipping, um, but this one is called my flipping world. And um, yeah, you can, you can, you can have one on your desk or wherever you want in the house and just track track things so i'm going to use it in, in 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 january to do i don't know i might i might try and uh go sober for january let's see <laughs> but yeah. we could use it for mindfulness you know they they track track whatever you want or count down to special days so you could count down to when you're coming back from university come count down from um you know days days for if you're doing something for lent uh till your birthday till the end of term all that sort of stuff it's so it's just, just a bit fun. of fun yeah it's just fun and it's and also the other thing i thought about it is it, it it's also fun and funny so people will share it so i, I think that if um you know it, it it could become not viral but self-promoting in as much as if you have gone 15 days vegan then you might want to post that to your vegan forum where people might go oh i want one of those or you know this, that sort of thing it's uh, or if you've got days without gin on zero again then uh, you might you might think that's a fun thing to share too so it's a bit of fun Mine's going to be days without carbs, but anyway, there's another. Oh, story. is it? Yeah. Uh, I've got. I've, I had a hip operation this year, so I'm recovered fully. Um, but I put on two stone last year, so. Um, oh wow. 2020 is getting back to fitness, and it is. I can't wait. I've got to wait till the end of the year because of. Uh, yeah. Uh, the the healing, but um, yeah, I, I'm I'm ready to get out running, ready to get down the gym. I can't yeah. wait. But the carbs go with it. That's gone. Yeah. They go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so. I mean, there's there's lots of different sort of general ones. So you've got like days till the big day on there, and you've got days to go, or you know. So yeah, yep. you can you can flip it over to whatever you want. And then ideally, if it becomes a product that um uh, that that is doing well, um, then I'd like to possibly um, pitch it to, you know, some some of the companies like uh, that that could do customizable. Uh, printed materials so you know like the vista prints or contra prints or whatever of the world that might want you might want to customize one for yourself or your 
someone in your family. I think that's great. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Um, but uh, obviously it's probably not something that, that, that I would do myself, but it, there would be companies um, that, that might want to license out the, the product to make it customizable to their user base. So. Yeah, because we're going up to um, a Christmas event today that we do annually. And, yeah. uh, you know, and we, 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 that would be just personal to our family, really, because we have it as an annual thing for our family. So I could see personalizing my flipping world would be yeah. a really good idea. Yeah cool uh, okay so that's what you're currently up to today um yeah i want to just cover off let, let's take a little step down so you you mentioned it briefly you're at nottingham university doing an yep. engineering degree but yeah. it's not normal and, and sadly not normal but yeah to do so um why what took you down the road of doing engineering um i, I tell you what it was is that it uh, I did A levels in biology, sorry, biology, physics, and maths. And I, by far, my my passion was the physics. And I really found physics just made so much sense to me. Um, it, you know, I, with the maths, I was good at maths, but I would always be a bit impulsive and a bit rushed and 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 just sprint to the end of the questions and make silly mistakes. And biology, a lot more content and and stuff. Although it's very interesting. And um, actually, that's what my eldest son is doing now. Actually, biology, physics, and maths. But I was really good at physics, and so I naturally thought that. Um, and actually, my A in physics A level is one of the things I'm so proud. The biggest <laughs> I'm really proud of there in my go. life. Uh, as well as my pattern, my physics A-level and, and the patterns of nature. Um, but, uh, and, and I, so I did actually think to myself, should I do a physics degree? Um, and then funnily enough, there was a campaign for getting women into engineering that came and visited the, um, where I was studying. And, um, and, and I thought, oh, this, this is really interesting. And I, and I thought about types of engineering that, that would be fun. And, and I, I, I landed on manufacturing because I just was so curious how things were made. You know, everything that you touch and interact with has so many little parts and each little part is so cleverly made. And, and, and I just thought, I just wanted to understand how and learn about it. So um, yeah, so engineering and manufacturing specifically um, was what was what I did and what I did. I did manufacturing, engineering, and management. Um, so there was also a business side to it as well. So that that was good. Um, but yes, sadly, sadly, there was only I think seven girls out of a course of over a hundred um, on yeah. my on my course. And and I really thought I would be sitting here twenty five years later and tell you and being able to say, well, that has really changed. But it it hasn't. I mean, it 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 just hasn't. That it there's nowhere near parity. But um, in terms of the, the numbers of female engineering students, sadly. Um, so that, that is why I do do what I can to go into schools. I, I was in my, um, my old school, Urshline in Wimbledon last week, um, talking to um, uh, girls and, and actually boys from the college, uh, the equivalent, um, about my passion for engineering. And, and I think, I don't know, just engineering need a rebrand or something. You know, it's just so people just don't feel um, inspired by it. It's, you know, it's about innovation, isn't it? It's about making things better. It's about creating innovative things to make people's lives better, whether you're building the, the best bridges or making the best software or make doing, you know, doing the, the getting, coming up with the, the next pharmaceuticals or whatever. It's all about improving people's lives through innovation. And I kind of think that engineering just doesn't have that glamour or just, 
it doesn't have the power to inspire as many certainly girls when i'm speaking to girls they you know they just think it's hard hats and and and, and you know boots and coats and and stuff and, and that, I, I mean maybe they just think that that charlene from neighbors back in the 1980s was an engineer with her spanner and her you know i mean it's just a car engineers or something but I, what I try and say to the girls is that, you know, your iPhone, think about all the different areas of your iPhone, you know, the, the software written inside your phone, running your phone, as, as software engineers built that, and, the, and the, the front cover that you can touch and move things around, well, that's materials engineering came up with that, that particular glass or that particular plastic or whatever that's perfect for that application. And, you know, just even the, even the, the lipsticks that you're, that you're wearing or whatever you know they, those have been engineered to to look like that and to feel like that and to you know have and, and to make you happy and want to want to buy them so i try and i try and tell the girls that that or explain to the girls that that look i'm an engineer you know do i look like do you think i look like an engineer am i how your stereotypical engineer no of course not but that's because you know they they don't need to be what what they've been in the past or those stereotypes need to be thrown done away with and, and engineering needs to be lifted up <laughs> yeah i mean i've got two girls and and i'd hoped that i would steer them more towards coding and and uh, you know just basic html javascript or anything like that just any interest in the technology space right yeah. nothing just couldn't convince and there, there, there was no interest at all. It, it, it passed them by completely. And, and this is someone who's prepared to sit down with them and show them how to do it, which they won't get at school because there's yeah. not enough teachers. Um, yeah. So, and, and even then they weren't interested. So I, I don't know what the, the spark is or the gene is or, or the, the um, interest that triggers it. But, but yeah. I couldn't find it within my two girls, that's for certain. Well, and I mean, I don't think you should try to find something. I mean, it, they, they need to find them themselves and it's going it, to, you know, it was right for me. Um, but then, you know, I'm terrible at English. I can't spell for toffee. You know, I, well, you know, I'm okay. But uh, I, oh, writing an essay, there's just there's a friend of mine that's just done a, a, a master's degree in, in her 40s. I mean, she's an incredibly incredible um, woman. But, you know, I just couldn't, I hate writing. I hate writing essays. <laughs> You know, give me numbers, give me, give me physics type, give me engineering problems, that sort of stuff. That's just what makes me tick. Um, and, and certainly within, you know, within business, I was, I, I, I was, was into, um, so the first company that I worked for actually, um, after um, I came out of university or two, of, maybe first or second company, um, was a, um, a company called Servcast. I don't know if you remember them back in um, the late 90s, no. early, early 2000s. This was right in the heart of the, the internet bubble. And um, uh, it, they, they'd, they'd raised 30 million euros from, uh, I think it was Providence Equity Partners, to roll out a streaming media, a streaming video network. Um, because back in the late 1990, you know, 90s, um, they believed that the internet would be delivering video soon. And geez, they were right. Um, but as part of the team there, when I joined that company, I was um, in business development. And all, you know, straight away from the outset, I was the one that understood how to calculate, or better understood than some of the other salespeople, you know, how to calculate the, the data throughput, for example, that was going on based on the encoding of the videos that were being uploaded. And, and you know, I found anomalies in their pricing structure, but, you know, due to multi-bit rate encoding that they hadn't factored in in working out the pricing and the throughput. You know, so I was always a technical 
mind in a, even when I was in a, a salesy businessy role I would just lean in that direction so I guess I'm just a little bit techie in my bones yeah. <laughs> now your, your mother is is a very technical young person as well um, yeah she's got a maths degree you were telling me yeah she did maths she's maths and she was always you know she was the one that would always you know teach me back at school um you know word and excel and powerpoint you know she was just really savvy um technically savvy from from the outset um and uh and, and a huge role model for me um you know unconditionally supportive in everything that i wanted to do um but yeah she was she was head of schools well she was she was originally a a producer on play school when we moved to to london back in that is so cool do you know what's even the coolest cooler than that is she used to bring big ted and hat and um no and she used to bring them home <laughs> <laughs> and um and she also used to bring back sometimes what was underneath the clock um in play school do you remember that what's underneath yeah, I the do. Clock? Yes. so so yeah it, it was cool um, okay, that she was sure. in television and then she did then she was head of school's television at the bbc so she was quite a high-powered woman in senior management at the bbc which again was a, a fantastic role model for me yeah i mean my, my, my girls have got a good role model in in my wife jill who ran microsoft Mike yeah so hell so, yeah <laughs> so they've got a good one there they're not so. lacking in that area my goodness and i hope yeah. i'm a good role model for my kids you know i think you, you are know. i think you will be so brilliant look so your mother your mother obviously um the the, the apple didn't fall far from the tree as they say <laughs> um yeah now you came out of university i assume you went in like most most people and had their first um you know first few roles but your first on well i'm going to ask was was mydia your the company that i first met you at was that your first entrepreneurial role yeah i mean i came out of university and i didn't know what i wanted to do and i waited tables at planet hollywood for a bit um uh, because i'd always done i basically waitressed my way through uni i always made good tips um yeah. in between when i came home from uni i would work work in tj fridays in kingston um, but then after I graduated, I didn't, I, I had, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do at all. So I went and worked at Planet Hollywood, which was really good fun. Um, but then I decided actually to follow in my father's footsteps. He was a commercial airline pilot for British Airways. So I right. applied to British Airways to be a pilot. And, um, I got through the initial application stages, which took three months. And then I went and I did the maths and the, um, aptitude tests, which took another three months and I passed all those. And then I went in and did the hand-eye coordination tests on the simulator and that took another six months or so. And I passed all of those. And then I went to the HR interview, um, and, uh, where we had some tasks to do in a big group. And, um, obviously they, they, they look at what, you know, leadership or whatever, and uh and and um i got the letter a week later to say sorry you you have not been accepted and i was really? absolutely absolutely devastated because my dad was still flying and i had these visions of being able to fly with my dad but actually it was the best thing because think about the person i am i'm a huge risk taker and i'm an entrepreneur there is no room for an entrepreneur <laughs> in the in the cockpit of an airplane you know let's oh, I know, let's fly this plane in upside down yeah let, i was <laughs> gonna know. say let's do loop the loop and see what happens i've yeah. got a really good idea now let's do this it's been much much better um, so, so actually, you know, fair play to their recruitment process because, uh, you know, I was, I wasn't the right type of mindset to be in a cockpit, <laughs> um, but I was, I was really devastated. And also that took about 18 months of my life getting from first application to, um, 
to that letter where I where I failed. <laughs> um, so yeah, I that that took up a, a, a bit of time, and then um, from there, sadly, I went into recruitment, which I absolutely hated because somebody I can't remember who told me somebody said that there was a lot of money to be made in recruitment, um, but I really I hated playing with people's lives for money. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't mean that in a bad way to people that are in recruitment. I'm sure there's lots of ethical recruiters out there, but I I found it challenging. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't I didn't enjoy it. I remember thinking it's a bit like that sliding doors film. I said, God, a door a door slid somewhere in my life and I've ended up being a recruitment consultant. I don't oh, like it. <laughs> yeah. No. So um I ended up actually placing myself within the business, the servecast business, which I ended up um, learning about streaming video within because they were rolling out the network. And from there is where I had the idea because I obviously went on maternity leave and had a baby and then had the idea of building a consumer streaming video service, which is what Midio was, which was my first startup. Yes, it was my first entrepreneurial endeavor if you don't count selling stuff um, outside the house when you're five. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there you go. <laughs> selling lemonade, yeah. Excellent. Uh, although I think in america that's now frowned upon for some strange reason but anyway. i didn't sell lemonade i remember selling um jam jars which i filled with flowers and water and then turned upside down and sold them as paperweights <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where i came up with that idea from and i don't know if, i can't even remember if anyone bought them but i do remember having a little table of paperweights with made of jam jars filled of water and flowers <laughs> and natural entrepreneur anyway um okay we 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 Midio or yeah, that's it how you is said Midio. it. Yeah, because yeah. it rhymes with video. It's, it was yeah. Midio. It's my video. Yeah. yeah. Well, everyone called it my video, and I didn't bother correcting yeah. it. But, but yeah, Midio. Uh, yeah, it was. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. So, um, your your dislike, let's put it that way, of uh, having shareholders and VCs and angels involved in your current business. Um, what was the experience you had raising money for Midio and 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 you know talk us through what your challenges were there i guess i i guess i just felt so responsible for everybody's money i mean I, maybe i just needed to be more brutal but i felt so personally responsible for making That's you know i remember one thing, of though, I, I, well yeah definitely it is a good thing um but i remember one time one of the uh, i had a, a business angel that that had invested 50 grand and um i remember him saying to me on the phone one time so come on, when, uh, you know, when, when are you going to do this deal with Best Buy? This is my children's inheritance. You've oh got. You realize God. that, you know, oh my I, I was God. like, shit. sorry, excuse my French. Um, but, but yeah, I just, I, I felt I did have some nice investors as well that were really supportive, but I had, I, I guess I, I just had some that I just felt like a real weight on my shoulders all the time to deliver for everyone. And, and also I did something probably a bit silly and naive, which was initially when I started Midio, I said, I said, this, this is gonna, I wanna make everybody I know rich. So I, you know, I gave loads of shares to friends and family and everything. And that just really complicates things because every shareholder is, is, is just another piece of paperwork when you're doing a shareholder agreement or an amendment to a shareholder agreement or, a, or an investment round. And you've got to go and get, you've got to get buy-in from every single shareholder on the new yep. share price and the ratchet and the, you know, it's just, oh my God, it's just, I had so many shareholders and, and you know, it just, I felt felt I felt it a burden, and um, and and so that's why I decided with with um, with the bootclaw and with Punchline Innovation that I would that I wouldn't take any investors or have any shareholders. I would be the, the the only shareholder, and that I would build it and grow it 
organically and crowdfunding seemed like the perfect way to do something like the boot claw because as i said it 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 gave me the commercial um backing if you like as well as the, the financial backing it said yes look, you, you you have found enough people that really seriously want to buy this thing and are prepared to buy it in advance if you promise to sell it so it's you know it's really good market validation yeah and i think um you know as you said you know it's market validation but also it's a manageable amount of money and a sizable uh chunk of that can be used by you and you're in you're 100 percent in control i think all yeah. of those are great uh factors i think talking to um uh, a couple of people who are so it's um, a guy called ali mitchell who's now at eqt ventures but he was a ceo of huddle i don't know if you remember huddle yeah 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 so ali's yeah, doing I remember them. brilliantly well him and uh, and andy are doing well they're both venture capitalists yeah. now and uh, yeah they're making you know 10 20 million pound bets now on companies wow. Yeah, um, I mean, big numbers. But what he did say was that, you know, the American model is very different to the UK model that you and I experienced, which was the American model is the uh, Peter Thiel zero to one. Look, we're going to bet on a company. We're going to bet big. We're going to own the market and then we'll turn the revenue stream on. Um, yeah. Well, that's 20. basically what, what, what YouTube did. I remember because we, we, hmm. we launched video three years before YouTube. Okay. And I, and I you know, I'd done the maths on... So Midio was a consumer streaming video hosting service. I envisioned that, so I had a child, literally there that I wanted to send a video to to our family in Holland. This was pre-YouTube, it's pre-internet video really, or very early internet video. And I thought, oh, if I can make a, a service that consumers could use with the internet to share videos, I think that people would pay for that. Um, and I was absolutely right. People, in terms of people would want it, but then along came YouTube and people didn't want to consumers didn't want to pay for something that they could get free and and you know that i just couldn't have foreseen that business model so you know it it, it wasn't the end of 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 video we pivoted to a, a business to business you know um service um and and just in time really and the business the, you know the business side overtook the consumer revenue i don't know like 12 months or something so right you know the the, the back end of the, the i suppose two-thirds of the of Midio's life was a business to business hosting service, whereas we'd started as a consumer service. But then, you know, those pivots are, are typical within startups. And, you know, you either, you either make them or, or you die, you pivot before you run out of cash and you survive and you, you don't and you, and you don't. So, um, yeah. And I mean, I, just to go back to the, the, the shareholder thing and, and, and I, you know, because you've just reminded me of, of, there was one particular time when I, my, my niece was having a party and I was getting the corporate investment. We were getting investment from Best Buy. Um, and they actually were going to uh, um, basically become, they wanted a, a percentage shareholding in return for, um, you know, a, a large amount of value of marketing or whatever that would give us then a shareholder price a, a new share price that we could put out to another round of business angel investors and and um and i just remember at that time the business angels were were, were difficult to deal with and and i was i was i was pretty sure that the best buy were going to invest but i wasn't but i was nervous and i was so stressed and nervous during that time that i remember my mouth or motion detector at the front door sorry that's my ring ring speaker going um, that's all right we have, it's technology we have one as well yeah <laughs> um but i just had a mouth so full of ulcers that i could i could hardly speak to my niece at her party and, and it was just the 
the stress, the, the stress of, of, of closing this big, I mean, it was a really big deal to, to have Best Buy invest. It, it, it was, a, it, I mean, it, and it was also right in 2007, that was. This was November 2007 that corporate, the corporate services department of Best Buy invested in Midio because they wanted to put a, a, a video hosting service wrapped up with all their camcorder sales. So it was, you know, it's a huge opportunity and, 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 and that was why we were able to attract more investors, but everything was pivotal on everything else all coming together at the same time. And God, it was stressful. Yeah. And I had, I had a mouthful of ulcers. And then of course that was 2007, 2008 came along and just uh, <laughs> smashed everything to pieces. The entire consumer services team at Best Buy that had done the deal with us basically were, were, were laid off. Um, and hence we didn't see the huge uplift that we were expecting from the Best Buy partnership. And that's when we had to look at, look at the, the pivot and into the, the business side of, of Midio. So, but I mean, you know, I, I ran it for like, I think 12 years all in all. Um, and then, you know, I just got this itch for, for the new company that, that, that you just got a scratch and, and I realized, Hey, what am I doing? I'm, it's profitable. And, and I've been running it for 10 years, but now. I'm not enjoying it anymore. I want to go back to the really exciting stuff that gets me leaping out of bed in the morning. So that's, that's why we, um, I decided to do, to, to start Punchfront. So we, we sold the customer base of Midio to um, Stream UK and um, yeah, all, all's well, that ends well. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I moved on. Well, as you said, it was your MBA. It was, it was your. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, it was my real life MBA and and that, that's how I, I wouldn't have it any other way because like I said I'm terrible I wouldn't want to go back and study or write any essays or anything but <laughs> I got the, I got the MBA from the University of Life there, yeah. but it just it just meant that I knew exactly what I was doing when I was starting my new business you know I just set it up like that you know just easy peasy um you know just everything I've done before just do it all again yeah um, I mean I think you know when I look at my two girls again we talked about you know why aren't they doing STEM more and why why are their interest in technology not as high given given you know i have got a high interest in it but um you know the other side of it is they're not very entrepreneurial i not right now they've not shown any inclination so you know you showing it at five with you know you putting out a stall whether yeah. you sold anything or not just had that seed of entrepreneurism i've got friends children who for example currently go into uh, you know these secondhand shops and they yeah. buy clothes and then they go to there's a really cool young kids website called debop and they, oh yeah and they go and buy and sell and they're making 80 quid on a you know a burberry coat or something like that that's the entrepreneurial nature yeah no i think you are there's, there's a book written by sahar uh, it's what's the name the the coffee republic was it coffee republic or cafe i can't remember which one but it, she, she wrote a book sahar called um, anyone can do it yeah about business startup and uh, I don't want to be critical, but I couldn't agree less. I mean, I don't think anyone could do it. I think you're a certain type of person with an indomitable spirit and just yeah. bursting with optimism and vision can do it. And, and, but not everyone is that type of person. And thank God, because we, you know, God knows we need balance in companies and in society. But, um, but yeah, <laughs> I, for example, when I was at the Ursuline, line, we used to have to queue up for um, tickets to get into lunch and um, they would just use raffle tickets, books of raffle tickets. So what, <laughs> I, you can see where this is going, can't you? I, can. I obviously bought all the colours of raffle tickets and sold them in the playground for 10p to people so they could get Brilliant. to lunch. So, yeah, I, I just, I'm just constantly the sort of person that goes, oh, I, I can think of a better way of doing that or, you know, that and sort I, of thing. 
more motion detected. More motion. <laughs> All those Christmas presents are turning up. Yeah. Um, no, I just think you are. I, I, you know, can you can entrepreneurs be made or are they born? And I, I, I fundamentally believe. I think you're born and then you enhance yourself, right? Yeah. Um, I, I fundamentally think people who are not entrepreneurs generally probably won't do well in an entrepreneurial environment it just it's too risky it's too maverick it's too yeah. loose for them they, they, they're good corporate citizens but they're probably not good startups yeah citizens. well you need you know you need in any startup you don't you need you need the the diversity in the in the mindsets you know you need to have the per, the, the person that will do that that i would be terrible at being which is the you know the the rules is rules type accountant or or you know you, you have you ever done that thing where you 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 choose between a circle a square a squiggle and a triangle and you no. you, you i remember you 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 look at them it's literally a circle a square a squiggle and a triangle and you look at them and you say which one do you like the best and um i'd say squiggle yeah so squiggles are the entrepreneurs generally this is sweeping but obviously, <laughs> okay in, that was just gen- a guess by the way in, so, yeah. in general the circles are the people that like circles tend to be people people right. and um people um, that like squares tend to be more process um type people and, and they like rules and they like um, regulations and process and then the triangles tend to uh often be leaders um and and it, i went to this i I can't remember the name of the woman that did it, but I went to this course one time and there was a hundred of us, I think, in the room. And they said, right, if you like circles best, go in that corner. If you like squiggles best, go in that corner. If you like squares, go in that corner and triangles in that corner. And they go, right, everybody um, brainstorm the Christmas party. And then she went around all the groups and listened. And sure enough, the circles were all going, oh, who should we invite? And what should we have that, so, that those sort of people will like? And, um, and the squares were going, how much is it going to cost? What's the budget? <laughs> you know, and, and the squiggles were going, I've got the most brilliant idea for what we can do. We'll get this going to be crazy. And, this is going, you know, and they were the same types of people, the, the people people and the, the entrepreneurs and, the, and the, the process people. And you need a balance of, you know, because that, that's why the, you know, the 2008 happened and, and the, the, the big crash happened was because everybody, there was no diversity in the city and the types of people that they were hiring to do all the same things. And then res- everything would then, you know, keep pumping the same sort of decisions and mindset um, to be a- behave in the same way that ultimately caused the crash. Um, you know, so you- you've got to have all these different people to, to make something operate properly haven't you it's a bit like yes. you know so it's okay if you're in a if you're in a huge boat rowing boat and one person goes over to the edge and looks over you're fine but if everybody goes over to the edge of the boat and looks over it's going to topple over <laughs> yeah different types of people diversity yeah. yeah now um okay uh so medio when you, you came up with a brilliant uh second product really you know boot claw we've talked about yeah. Well, um, where do you see Carrie Marsh in five years, ten years from now? What 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 does the future hold for you next? Um, well, I've re- I, I think I've decided that of all the things I've done in my life, making products that people like is one of the most fun, and I enjoy it the most. So I'm definitely going to 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 carry on um, creating new products and launching new products. I will probably be looking next year in the, in the shorter term with Bootclaw, we're, we're doing some um, uh, different packs. So we're, we're gonna be doing a, um, a boot care pack so that you can buy a Bootclaw with um, some uh, 
uh, deodorizing spray. So a bit, a bit more of a higher price point. Um, so it can be giftable and that, that sort of stuff. Um, I've talked about the, the My Flipping World products and how we might go with some different, um, different types of versions of that. Um, but also um, two or three more ideas that I'm thinking that I will probably uh, launch one or at least one, but maybe two next year. Um, but I haven't got any protections in place for those yet, so I won't talk to you about those. No, please don't. <laughs> don't, don't um, mention yeah. anything you're not happy going out to a large No, audience. no. Well, I mean, I, um, I, it's a bit like we were saying with, with um, venture capitalists, isn't it? They have a portfolio. They know, you know, they, they know they can spread their risk by having a number of things that might tip for them. Um, and that, that's what I'd like to have a whole portfolio of products that I've brought to market and the boot claw being one and the, the, the chart being another and, and, and some more along, along the way. So, um, yeah, the, 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 the real hard work is, is out of the way with once you get the patent in place, um, because it, you know, the, the product now every year, it, it becomes more well-known and it, and, and it, you know, I can pretty much forecast what i what i know september october november december through to april are gonna are gonna look like for for the boot claw um obviously it's very seasonal you know we, we don't well we, we, they sell in the in the summer but but not in many high numbers like the like, like we're selling at the moment so yeah i think i think just more more ideas you know make make more make more things happen because that, that that is where i i find i'm happiest yeah i mean it it's interesting i i look at midio which was a software non-tangible product you couldn't hold it physically yeah yeah and i look at what you've now produced which are physical products that are you know you can measure the the sales yeah. in physical units yeah. uh, and given your background in engineering i wonder whether it's that that you've found your home you know you yeah yeah well i, mean, I, I like I definitely... to produce tangible physical products that i can i can sell because i can see rather yeah. than software products which are less tangible well i just love the god when i go when i go and visit the factory i, I took a client um who's potentially going to be my u.s distributor for boot claws um up to see the factory uh, last month and oh god i love being in there because we had the tool <laughs> out and all the machinery's going and the tool is so the tool is so cool it's a beautiful thing you must have and, so much fun with your girlfriend on a night out they're, to <laughs> they're talking lipstick and nail polish and you're talking about you know wd-40 and whatever <laughs> but no i mean i it, it is what gets my my engineering and physics mojo going i mean i just love being up in the factory and 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 seeing it all happening and actually making stuff um so yeah but no i i do i do enjoy that Brilliant. but i have i think i have found my ha my my happy place with the with this sort of thing yeah Carrie Marsh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a fascinating story listening to you. Um, wish you well with what comes next. Thank you. Well, we'll stay in touch. I'm, I'm sure I'll come back on the show for, uh, in a few products time, maybe. <laughs> Absolutely. You're welcome back anytime. Oh, brilliant. Thanks, Sam. It's been great. Thank you, Sam. That show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.